0: Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host Liam Edwards and thank you for joining me for the 37th episode of the show. It's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, It certainly feels good to be back. Um, I do apologize for the unforeseen break last week, but unfortunately I've been having some incredibly difficult tech issues and the fact that I'm even recording this episode is a miracle in itself. Just to give you the know, uh the laptop in which I record this show, my only source of being able to actually record the show, has broken and due to me being in Japan, getting it repaired is next to impossible. So my options right now are unfortunately extremely limited uh, as financially I cannot afford to replace it right now and I don't know when I'd be able to do that. I don't want to bore you guys too much, but a lot of people have been concerned about if the show was going to stop or if it's stopping or going on hiatus. Uh, I'm absolutely working every option I can to make sure that that doesn't happen, Uh, but I'm coming up against some difficulties at the moment. Um, But fingers crossed, something can be arranged so this train can keep on rolling. Uh, A big thank you to everyone who has offered to help me either financially or logistically. It absolutely means the world to me. And although I'm someone who feels a little funny about accepting money, uh, I appreciate the gesture uh, just immensely. I I cannot thank you enough. Um, Whilst I might need help eventually, uh, I'm working everything I can to make sure the show can run smoothly for the next few weeks to give me some time to sort everything out. Uh, These past few days have caused me more anxiety than ever before, and as anyone who knows me will tell you, uh, I'm usually pretty chilled out. I'm a very chilled out person, Um, so this level of stress, uh, panic, and anxiety has all been incredibly new experiences for me, (laughs) but not enjoyable ones. Anyway, I just wanted to tell you about the situation, Uh, I know a few people were messaging me uh, as they were concerned about whether the show was going to stop and they were worried. Um, Don't worry yet, (laughs) I I don't think it's going to stop yet, um, hopefully, um, but something does need to be sorted out or arranged uh, for the long run. But let's move on from something negative to something extremely positive just before we start the show today. Um, Most of you who listen will know that this show was, quite amazingly, uh, nominated for Best Podcast Slash Radio Show of 2016 at this year's Games Media Awards, or GMAs, if you know it by that. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be heading to England anyway, so I was able to attend the show. Uh, I managed to catch up with some quite incredible people, including previous guests of the show, such as Steve Burns and uh, Matthew Castle and just a whole host of cool people. Uh, it was an excellent night, and, and I, I, I can't even believe I'm saying this. Uh, quite incredibly, Final Games won. Uh, this show won the GMA, uh, <laughs> which is just amazing. Uh, I had to go up on stage and give a speech uh... in front of some of the best writers uh, creators and people in the games industry uh... it was a nerve-wracking experience to say the least Um, but wow uh I just wanted to say, as I always do, a huge thank you to everyone who listens to the show. Uh, To to you, the person who's listening right now, uh, thank you so much. It means the world to me. Um, I never started this podcast to win awards. I just wanted to bring a positive voice to the games industry and let talk people and let people talk about you know passionately about their favorite games. But to have come this far in only ten months is just still quite unbelievable and quite incredible and it's all thanks to you wonderful people who listen to the show um so thank you so much without you guys the, the the show wouldn't have wouldn't still be going so although a laptop may now be causing the show to stop <laughs> it would have stopped a lot earlier or sooner if you guys were not listening so thank you so much uh truly from the bottom of my heart thank you for your support Uh, Now, uh, I do apologize for the long announcements and long intro to the show, um, but let's get started with this week's episode. Joining me today is a game designer who, as a one-man team, has designed some of Steam's most unique strategy and simulation games. He previously worked at Elixir Software as a games programmer, and then at the sadly now defunct Lionhead as an AI programmer. But he's most known for starting his own company, Positech Games, an indie studio known for creating titles such as Democracy, Kudos, and the popular space tower defense title Gratuitous Space Battles, which is still a name I I absolutely love. He may be a games designer and programmer, but his website also states he once used to build boats and was even a guitar teacher. That's quite the awesome CV, if I'm honest. My guest this week is the excellent Mr. Cliff Harris, or Cliff as you might know him. Hello, Cliff.
1: Hi there. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right. It's excellent to have you on. How are you, how are you doing
1: today? I am, uh, I am hot because my heating is too high. Um, <laughs> but apart from that, um, yeah, I'm fine.
0: Excellent. Um, so I guess we'll dive straight into it. Um, you've been sort of working on your own games for a long time now. Um, yeah. Quite incredibly... Since, I was, uh, since
1: 1997.
0: Like yes, since, um, that's what I was going to uh, say. It's like 1997. Um, we think of, well, I sort of think of indie game studios being this sort of game revolution that's happened maybe in the last five six years with like <laughs> unity and make just yeah that's yeah. nonsense yeah yeah no and, it's been around forever
1: <laughs> it's been around i remember when introversion um who another british studio um started using this tag of uh the last of the bedroom coders yes me being annoyed thinking hang on i started before you and like i am actually in my bedroom and i happen to know you have an office um and, and that was kind of coming to it late um you know I thought I came to to it quite late, but yeah. yeah it's got massively bigger recently, so people are kind of like surprised to hear that um people were selling indie games in nineteen ninety seven but they definitely were
0: that's what uh, it was amazing because I was reading about it and I was thinking because you'd previously worked uh as a games programmer before and at Lionhead as well um mm. what what was it like to you know be working at a studio and then be like hey you know what I want to start my own games was it did you have like big ideas of a big game studio like the ones no. you worked at
1: well it was weird because originally I was kind of like a part-time indie game programmer okay and then you know uh, that was how I started because um, I couldn't get a job in the industry because I didn't have any actual qualifications um, there was no evidence that I knew how to program at all <laughs> because <laughs> um, I was like self taught and through like evening classes and stuff like that so um so i I did it initially, and then I got a job at elixir and then um then I left there, and then I got a job at lionhead and and then I left there so i I'd kind of already experienced indie life yeah and i i don 't have the classic story that people have now that they work at a big studio and they suddenly quit their job to go indie and it's really risky. Um, <laughs> because cunningly I already had these games yeah. that I developed. And when uh, when I left my last uh triple A job which was Lionhead, I was already earning more from my like part time indie stuff than I was from my day job. So it was the least risky thing. <laughs> did, I wasn't did it baffles <laughs> Yeah I did. I, I I completely did it the the kind of wrong way round.
0: <laughs> um, so the one thing I wanted to ask you then obviously This is I I keep saying like wanting to say rise of indie dev, but obviously I'm totally wrong. Um, But we have seen more focus, I want to say, on indie developers in recent times, thanks to stuff like indie game, the movie and communities where people sort of help each other. Um, It seems maybe a lot easier to be an indie developer now. But yeah. I kind of want to know what it was like back in
1: 1997. Then <laughs> you obviously <laughs> oh, didn't harsh. have
0: you didn't have stuff like Unity or game Maker oh, and God. stuff like that.
1: Um, well, I'm old school. I don't I code my own engine, so I don't use any of that anyway. Okay, um, but it it was hard back then because like when I started the the most difficult thing was persuading people to buy something over the internet. I mean, it was that long ago. It was pre dot com boom so the idea of using your credit card online um, a lot of people didn't like that so for an indie then a lot of it was retail a lot of it was negotiating with sort of publishers yeah um to get a retail deal and to get massively ripped off uh most of the time (laughs) you would get like one penny or one cent for each copy of like some box collection of 200 super games okay one on that um so it was kind of awful uh and the other thing that was a bit weird that you don't get now is that when you explained what you did everyone would say um so this is your way of 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 like you know uh trying to get a job in the real industry (laughs) um you know (laughs) this is just to put on your CV so maybe one day you could get a job at EA or something whereas now it's the opposite you know now you would just assume indie devs are indie devs because they don't want a job at ea or activision or whatever. yeah they want but,
0: to you know have creative control of their own games and that
1: kind of thing and they and they want to get into debt and, and like be depressed <laughs> and work long hours which is the reality but but yeah there was no concept that you could make a living from it then um Th- that took quite a while, although a few people did, I, kn- I knew a guy making solitaire games that made a living from it, and, and Jeff Vogel, uh, the spider web software guy, he'd been around a while, um, so it could be done, but it was v- very unusual, you would never meet anyone um, who was an indie game dev, uh, and you would not never go to a conference, and even if you did, there wouldn't be any other indie devs there, so it was very different to how it is now.
0: I can't even imagine because I remember fantasizing about being a game developer when I was in school um and this was what 2003 4 and being like how do I even make games like what like I know I just have no idea whereas I sort of I think now if if you ask the same question you'd be like put into google how do I make games and thousands of free engines and free yeah. uh, software would appear. I I can't even imagine thinking back in 1997, right! It, it's so easy now.
1: <laughs> I mean, because when I, I first started trying to program uh, when I was 11 um, on a, a, a ZX81 that only had 1k of memory. Yeah. And and obviously there was no internet and, yeah, there was no books on anything. I mean, you just had to, like, read the the manual for the in the basic programming language, and then just sort of guess how to do it, and no debugger, and um, yeah, I mean it was just just hell. <laughs> Excuse
0: me. It's amazing, and you've created a lot of games as well. Uh, you've designed programs, a heck of a lot of games. Obviously, some of your biggest titles are you know Democracy and Gratuitous Space Battles. What has it been like to? Sort of go along and see, because you predominantly make, uh, you know, strategy or simi- sim titles that uh for the PC. Um, what has it, it been like to see the change uh, with sort of genres like your, the ones you specialize in become more and more popular through stuff like Steam and, and just everything. Yeah. That, maybe getting better. <laughs> it seems like everything just got better. Uh, for yeah, you as a yeah I mean,
1: uh, absolutely did. I mean, um, you know, computers can do so much now. I mean, you know, like like I say, my first my first computer had one k of RAM, <laughs> uh, which is insane. But you can make a game a, a game in that, you know. Um, but but now, obviously, you know, the sky's the limit, and everything has changed. But they are still the kind of one of the hardest types of game to make, yeah. and the one that is least explained. In terms of like tutorials and stuff like that, um, a simulation game is, is is quite a sort of tricky beast to make. Yeah. Um, so it, th- that genre is not really swamped in the in the same way that um, kind of like platform games are kind of swamped to an extent, and the kind of sort of third person shooter style, um, the kind of like action y kind of indie thing is also a little bit swamped. Anything that it's really easy to just Click a few buttons in Unity and make is is kind of massively swamped, but (laughs) it's really difficult to make a strategy game or or especially a a kind of simulation game. So um, it's still quite a sort of rich genre to work in. I think.
0: Have you? Is that just where your passion has always been? Um, have you ever thought about sort of maybe trying your hand at those type of easy genres to bust out like an easy game and uh, maybe put your own sort of spin on it?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, like in in an ideal world, I'd make a game like Call of Duty or something like that, um, because I do play <laughs> those sort of games a lot. Actually, people are always surprised saying like, "Oh, don't you sit and play Civilization?" Um, and I think, God, no. I mean, like you know, I'm working on stuff like this. So, like, to relax, um, what I want to do is just blow stuff up.
0: Just shoot some dudes like, in the face and not yeah. worry about it. <laughs> yeah, and and
1: I, I do love those sort of games. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I would be interested in, in, in making a game like that. But you can't do that as an indie because so much of that is the immersion and the visual kind of, whoa, I'm actually there. And then you need, like, Ten people just working on particle effects, and suddenly you need like fifty million dollars to even compete, and it's just not going to happen. Whereas, like if you do a little indie game, um, you know, if you, you want to do a strategy game, um, it can still get quite expensive, actually. But um, if you look at a game like Factorio, which I got very addicted to recently, um, it's—I mean, it, lo- it, it looks. It looks good it looks nice but it's it's clearly an indie game it clearly doesn't have the huge sort of crazy budget but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter once you get into a game kind of like uh the the graphics kind of like fall away to some extent and you just ignore them so um although i would like to one day make a sort of call of duty style game it's a pure fantasy i'd never actually do it even if i had the money i think (laughs) (laughs) it's
0: so, just to sort of go back a little bit before we move on to your list, because your list as well today is very pc centric um too, so I can sort of see sort of where a passion lies even when you come to playing games too um just to go back a bit then you're obviously you've been doing this a long time, and you said you sort of started doing night classes now that's really interesting because I can't imagine anyone being able to make. The games you make based on the knowledge of just having gone <laughs> to night classes uh, I know, it's for crazy, a while. Isn't it? Was this it while crazy. you were, was this while you were building a boat and also shredding the guitar as a teacher too?
1: Uh, yeah, it's oh, it's a complicated timeline because I'm so incredibly old. Um, <laughs> originally, when I was eleven, I I got a computer, uh, the Z- Sinclair ZX eighty one, which is a very English thing, um, with the one k RAM, and then I got a sixteen k Spectrum. Um, so I kind of, when you got that computer, it, it's so different to what people have now, because you would get this thing, you plug it into the TV, because obviously there's no monitor, um, and it would just come up with a copyright thing on the screen saying copyright 1980 um, Sinclair Research. and that was it, that was the operating system. Like if you wanted to play a game, you pretty much had to write it, <laughs> which is just <laughs> like insane. Or, or you could type it in. You could type in the source code of someone else's game, but then when you turn the computer off, it was lost. So you, can you imagine, like people who play, you know, Eve Online or whatever, having to like program the whole thing every morning before they could play it? It's just <laughs> absolutely, absolutely <laughs> crazy. So, but but the good side of that is you immediately saw a computer not as like people see them now as like a consumption device. Um, it was more here is a tool that you can make stuff with, so um, you know every every computer came with the operating manual was basically a programming language, so you had to kind of like get on with it and learn it and that was that was the way you did it basically but yeah i then i I kind of got sidetracked. I tried to become a, a rock star and uh, nailed boats together for years, and then eventually <laughs> got back into computers because uh, we didn't have them at my school. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough that there were no computer classes at school because nobody okay. had any. Yeah. Um, so I kind of missed out on, on on that side of things, and as a result, uh, when I sort of got back into computers, I had a, a 386, which is before Pentium, which even kids now don't even know what Pentium is. You know. But um, yeah, I went to evening classes, uh, I was unemployed for a while, and uh, you could get like free evening classes in, in C programming, and then I did more courses in like advanced programming, and I went on a little government course for two weeks on C++ programming, and I would sit in the library for a long time um, reading books on programming, um, and I got a mail-order course uh, of floppy disks of how to learn C, which cost me three pounds. <laughs> it's about four dollars, uh, and that's and that's how I learned. um But I was very, I was always very good at maths and stuff like that, so um I didn't find it too bad. uh But looking at how easy it is to learn now, you know, it, it was a pretty harsh, hardcore way of learning.
0: But does that make the tools these days just super easy for you to personally pick up? Then you're just like, oh, no. good, gonna... oh, really? No, it's the
1: complete opposite. It's the complete opposite, like. If you've never programmed and, and you know, sort of think I want to learn games, and you're given Unity, that's brilliant. Because you don't question it. It's just like, this is how games are made. But if if you've written everything from scratch, you look at Unity and think, what the hell is this? Like, <laughs> where where's the program entry point? Where is WinMain? And, like, stuff is done for you. You know, a lot of code is written for you, but you don't see it. And because I'm used to writing everything, I'm like, well, I, I want to know how that's done, because that might not be done very well. And you can and I can't use Unity, I've installed it three times, and tried to use it three times, and I've just rage quit from it. Um, because it's not, it isn't for someone like me, there's a this small, like, hardcore of, of coders who rebel against the black box-ness. I want to know every line of code and what it does. Um, And so, for someone like me, Unity is is horrendous. Um, But I can completely understand why people use it because, you know, I have to program the logic of my own scroll bars in my my UI. Yeah. Um, But like, who does that now? Yeah. Um, I mean, the the beauty of it is like you do it. You know, I did it for I don't know. um, Probably my I think my second game was the first with scroll bars, um, and I, I. refined it a bit since then but I haven't actually touched that code in you know six years or something eight years 10 just years.
0: copy and paste it into every game
1: <laughs> well pretty much I mean yeah it's you know it, it is in a in a sort of separate engine but it should be in a DLL by now Really, it's pretty slack <laughs>
0: that's, that's so fascinating just I've because for years and years I wondered just how on earth I think I knew about maybe the Unreal Engine and there was this game engine that people used in special companies to make the game you know um but i i always found it incredibly fascinating just how you make a game and uh i imagine you sort of sit there these days like kids these days so spoiled <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> but it, it,
1: it's funny that people don't realize that you know these engines are written in the same language you can use you know and and windows is you know windows is probably probably written in in the c++ by now i would have thought i think it was originally pascal or some craziness but like it's all written in ultimately it's all bits and bytes so there's nothing magical about a game engine you know it was just coded by someone like me or someone with more experience and, and a bit uh, you know more hardcore yeah than me. but like uh, th- there's nothing that says these are the gods who make game engines and y- you're not one of them um, yeah it is just a lot of hard work and to be honest if you do a 3d game Uh, And you want, um, sort of modern effects that you, you get in 3D, then, um, you know, it's insane to write your own engine because it's so hard. Um, but a 2D engine isn't, isn't too bad, frankly. Um, but then I've written loads, so, you know, because I've rewritten it every, however many years. Yeah. Um, And I, I enjoy it as well. Like, I, I do multi threaded programming for fun. Um, which <laughs> you're, you're giving me flashbacks
0: <laughs> you're giving me flashbacks to my computer science university degree uh <laughs> ptsd multi-threading
1: is hilarious it's like <laughs> people learn to program in a very like step by step way and then uh, and it all makes sense like uh basic made sense and then you you come across an object-oriented language like c uh well like c++ rather um and it's like well what, what where does it start what the hell happens and then you come up with multi-threading, where it's kind of like, well, anything could happen at any time, anywhere. Really, all <laughs> yeah. oh, bets are off, <laughs> and it's, it's that extra level of insanity. Um, but I, but I like that because um, I like the efficiency of it.
0: Excellent. Well, we're going to move away from programming games to playing <laughs> yes. games, um, yes. and we're going to start talking about the games that you're going to take with you to your sort of deserted place, Cliff. Um, so why don't we listen to some music from the first game you've chosen and dive straight into it? So, starting off your list today, Cliff, is a game that I think has inspired many people of a certain era to maybe make games themselves. It's a game that's appeared on this list, uh, well, on this show before. Um, It originally released all the way back in September of 1984 and was released for, uh, God, how many platforms? Uh, The BBC Micro, the Apple II, the Amstrad, the Commodore 64, the ZX Spectrum, uh, even the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, the Amiga, the Atari, just every system known to man at the time. Um, it's David Braeburn and Ian Bell's sort of space trading masterpiece, uh, Elite, the original. Cliff, why are we starting with Elite today?
1: It was the first game that I I took very seriously and got really into. Um, And it is is such a contrast to, to, to modern games. The modern version of it. I mean, obviously, there's, there's like Eve Dangerous, uh, Elite Dangerous now. Um, but the modern version of it to me is kind of Eve Online. Um, and even though the original was obviously single player, it had that same feel, um, of kind of you're in this huge sprawling universe. Uh, and it was just incredible that they could do that. I, I, I loved it at the time. And But I I love the memory of it so much now, looking back at what they did and how they did it. Because it was since 16K of RAM. <laughs> and it had space trading, space combat, asteroid mining, ship upgrades. Um, you could skim the surface of the sun in order to refill your fuel tanks. Suns would explode and you'd have to escape from there with, like... Um, refugees you could buy hyperspace and jump to another universe there was like dogfighting in 3d with customizable ships and it was in 16k which is you can't even get a font that small now and most people's like email signatures are, are, are bigger than 16k so it is absolutely incredible how how they did that I still cannot envisage how they did that but they did <laughs> um, which, which was which
0: was the uh, version that you played what, what, I, we, uh, what played were you the playing spectrum. on on the spectrum um, okay yeah.
1: yeah yeah there was a there was kind of a divide uh, when I was a kid you either had a spectrum or you had the sort of BBC or um, or it was mostly like the Commodore 64 but people say that the um, like the spectrum kids were the kind of programmers uh I don't know why. I think it was just like like it, it, you had to be really in it, into it, to kind of yeah. suffer the spectrum. It had a, it had an awful spongy keyboard, <laughs> and, and before that, I had the ZX eighty one, which had like just a touch keyboard, which makes it sound cool, but it was horrendous. It was like an ATM machine. Um, so programming on that was hilarious. Uh, it was just just so bad. But one of the things that I really like about Elite, looking back on it, is that it was before the internet. Um, so there there was no, no spoilers, there were no gameplay videos or anything like that. And there was this thing that would happen, I think, every, like, 400 times you would jump into hyperspace that you would get attacked by spaceships in hyperspace that were incredibly rare, and if you defeated them, you got some special thing or whatever. Yeah. And because there was no internet, this was kind of like a rumor in, like, schools... That like someone knows someone who knows someone who said that once this happened to them it was one would of those say, you know no, that's nonsense I've been playing this game for a hundred hours that's never happened to me kind of thing. <laughs> so when and it did happen to me once and and it was like the most exciting thing ever, just like, oh shit,
0: like oh my god
1: <laughs> it it was just the rumors are true, you know it was just like an, an incredible kind of thing not to have that and to have to really sort of and also it was quite a hard game um. And, and just everything about it was so much more ambitious than the other games around at the time. The other games around the time would be very simple arcade games. And they had this whole kind of futuristic world that they'd, well, universe that they'd created. There was a book written for it that came with, in the box. And you got like a chart to put up on your wall to spot the different spaceships. And <laughs> it was just so cool. Um, but funnily enough, I didn't get into the new one um I, I i have a copy but i just crashed my spaceship a lot and i don't think i ever made it out of the space station
0: <laughs> do you reckon this sort of new one is a bit more combat focused and that's sort of the difference maybe
1: possibly yeah i i it's just that the kind of like back then i think it was a difficult it's a difficult game and like if you bought a game then you wouldn't have loads of games. There weren't Steam sales and stuff. So if the game was really difficult um, and awkward, you'd just suffer and keep playing. Whereas now, like if I crash a spaceship in Elite Dangerous, that's just Sort of think, oh, will oh, yeah. play something else. <laughs> you know, which it wasn't an option back then. You would just have to like, you know, suffer through anything that you weren't happy about with the game, um, and 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 just kind of like keep playing because they were quite expensive. Um, yeah. Compared to games now that, you know, the idea that you could buy a can of soft drink or a game, that's just ridiculous. You know, they they were a lot more expensive back then.
0: Well, even so, like, there's so many free games out there now as well. Um, Did Elite sort of inspire you? Was this the beginning of inspire you to maybe sort of think about, wow, this is what we can do with this computer? Like, and was that when you sort of started maybe having yeah, I, a, having a little go yourself
1: uh to some extent but uh, it, it was crushingly difficult because um because generally speaking like uh, you could program in basic on this uh by then it was it was the 16k spectrum um was it 30 no i had a 6 i think it might have been 32k actually now i think about it uh, but even so i mean it's <laughs> so kind of small right it's really um, small yeah, I mean, you could basically program these things in basic or you could use um, a, a, a kind of, they called it machine code then, which was just gibberish. It's like even more gibberish than um, assembly languages now. So um, there was this divide. and It was obvious that you'd never get anywhere close to programming anything like that without doing everything in machine code. And you just didn't have the information. You know, there wasn't a book on the sort of, you know, the the sort of, Uh, chip instructions and everything and it it was that extra level of impossible so I didn't really think about I mean I never thought I would ever have a job making these things I mean that's just insane it just wasn't (laughs) a thing back then
0: and then skip forward 20 years or so and you're making you know you've made your own
1: space games. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> but it, I mean it does take that long. I mean this is the thing. I mean sometimes like I meet people who are uh, coders and sort of say, "Oh, how did you do this? That seems quite hard or whatever." And you know, but, but they're kind of like a bit sort of intimidated by everything that you have to learn to make a game, but I say, you know, I started when I was 11. I'm now um 46. So yeah, it takes ages to learn. You know, what do you, I've been coding what, longer than you've been alive. So like, yeah, yes. I find it easy now, but it's it's, it's a crushingly difficult um, thing to do. Um, and, and, and people forget that because they see someone's first Unity game and they sort of think, oh, it's not too bad. But to like really sort of master all of it, and I haven't vaguely mastered anything. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff you need to know out there. And I, I was intimidated by Elite. It never occurred to me I could ever make something like that.
0: And now you you know you create like when you put it into perspective you're creating something incredibly more complex.
1: Uh, but it is, but see, it's, it's it's easy a little now easier, yeah. It, it, th- it it's easier, but people expect a lot. I mean, Elite didn't even have textures. You know, the version I played, it it was just uh, wireframe. The whole game was wireframe because there's no memory for textures or even colors. Um, you know, it was there was nothing there, um, so they didn't have to do a lot but they didn't have a lot to do it with I, I i reckon it it was harder for them to make elite than it is for me now to make something uh, like Retreat to space battles or um or democracy even but, but even matters?
0: with coding your own engine
1: as well yeah yeah wow. yeah, yeah 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 i think so
0: have you had the chance in your sort of career to speak with David Braben or Ian Bell about it? Oh
1: man, this is such an awful story. Um, I've never met David Braben, but I have met Ian Bell because I was on a panel at this um, like uh, games confersy thing about to do with like the the original wave of like British game programmers in there. Okay, the, yeah, come on, wait. And he was on there. There was about eight people on this panel. I was one. He was one. And I was like, oh my god, it's him you know and he was the more geeky programmer guy at the two and i thought you know i'm kind of embarrassed i'm not going to go up and go oh i played your games when i was a kid and they're inspiring <laughs> because that's kind of embarrassing for both of us yeah uh, but i thought you know it would be nice for me to like you know say something to him and uh you know i would like that memory you know uh but i never kind of got round to it and someone was taking a photo to commemorate this panel and they wanted to get everyone together and he was off talking to someone and then everyone else was together and it was like herding cats so like out of a sort of reflex to kind of help with the situation I shouted out Ian over here (laughs) and that was it (laughs) that's it so my only contact with kind of like my you know I, I guess one of my kind of like you know childhood game designer programmer yeah she's just to yell at him to get his (laughs) ass into the photo (laughs) that's it and i thought i'm not gonna go up and talk to him after that that'd be tragic but um yeah that was it really maybe
0: one day you'll get to usher david braben into a photo as well to yeah maybe it's something to live (laughs) for Yeah. yeah wow i think it's about time we move on to your next game then um so why don't we listen to some music for this next game and talk about that one as well Thank you. Okay, so Cliff, before we move into your next game, though, we have to talk a little bit about the actual deserted place you are stranded.
1: Now, on the show... I thought you were talking about where I actually live, because I do live <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, but I, I, I just got it. Yeah, okay, So.
0: Yeah, so no, we have to talk about where you're going to be stranded for the purpose of playing these wonderful eight games. Um, it has to be a place from video games. Um, and the rules are that, obviously, you are stranded, it's a deserted place, so there will be, like, no human NPCs, anyone you could sort of converse with or help you to escape. And also, if you think of a place that has maybe monsters or enemies, uh, they will be there as well. Um, so you have to sort of think about maybe a peaceful, quiet place in video games or a nice setting that you wouldn't mind spending the rest of your days being stranded in, playing Elite and the next game as well. Is Look, there anything that, that sort be, of springs to mind? Yeah,
1: I know exactly where... I, I'm just trying to think which one it is. I think, it's, I think it's 2, Just Cause 2, or it might have been 3. I can't remember which is which, but um, because it's set on a wonderful tropical island, and um, I, I love the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's, it's huge, so... Um, I can't remember the name of the uh, the island now, but the the, the big island that's in uh, I think the, just called, it's, a,
0: it's called Panau. Panau. That's I think? it. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: That's it. And it looks fantastic. It looks lovely. Um, yeah, I'd happily be stranded there as long as you know I had um, you know food and water and stuff. Yeah, um, I guess all yeah, the enemies
0: absolutely. are uh, humans as well, so they wouldn't be there either. So it would be basically exactly a so beautiful, empty tropical island.
1: Yeah, just sort of. You know, eat pineapples and stuff. Whatever. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's that would definitely be it.
0: I'm half tempted to give you Rico's uh, like grappling hook as well, just to yeah. Cause, I mean, that would be awesome. <laughs> cause some calamity and some destruction as well, in true Just Cause style.
1: <laughs> well, I'd probably just use it to grab pineapples from further trees.
0: That's that's a good idea. That's a really good idea.
1: <laughs> the I'm not sure if you laser. can do that. You should be able to do that in the game, I think. I don't know if you can. You, you yeah, but the, can.
0: Force, the force might just crush them at <laughs> <laughs> the problem.
1: It's just, just like a fire a this... in the face. <laughs> <Yeah>. Or, <laughs> yeah, or yeah, by maybe. the time
0: it comes to you, it's just completely disintegrated because of the yeah, hook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next game you are going to be playing in a pan out uh, and sort of eating pineapples with and coconuts is uh, the city building urban planning simulation game uh, that was developed by Maxis uh, and published by the aforementioned EA. Uh, it released all the way back in 2003, uh, but it's one of the most highly praised uh, city-building sims of all time. It's SimCity 4. Cliff, mm.
1: why are you taking SimCity 4 to Panao? Um Well, I did originally start with SimCity 2, uh, which I do remember. I can't even remember SimCity 3, but there must have been one. Uh, <laughs> <frankly>. <laughs> they just jumped but, to but, 4. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, I mean... F- Four is the one I probably played more than any of them, but they all do kind of in my mind kind of like meld into the same thing. And I, I, I've played a lot of other games like that, like the City Skylines is, is probably the best current one. Um and I I don't know, it my only experiences where I've sat down to play a game and thought, Oh, I'm just gonna play a bit of this and then noticed um like sunrise and I've played all through the night, and the sun has come up um, is is SimCity four just because it totally works on my kind of brain, the whole um kind of efficiency thing and the expansion and it it was it was kind of like a god game for an atheist i guess it it's like a god game without in the modern age um which kind of appeals to me to some extent. Like taking and,
0: just taking the man aspect of everything like yeah taking religion yeah, exactly. out of it not evolution or creating things it's like man can build cities this is a man building a city type just thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, 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 exactly. And I suppose that gate gave me my first sort of um sort of interest in the idea that that you would be in charge in a game. Um because I kind of like the the sort of god game idea um of like you're in charge of a massive complicated system but but without the sort of god aspect and without the kind of magic without the ooh fireballs and primitive people and you know I don't like that um as a sort of you know setting but I do like the idea that it's basically a power trip it's a power fantasy or all, all games of fantasies really and and the fantasy of being you know completely in charge of everything so you're running the city or the country or whatever is is i think quite appealing Um and and i spend so much time playing that game
0: i was gonna say because we started off talking about what kind of games you played and you mentioned like call of duty and mm. people sort of expect that you would play simulation games or games like sim uh Civ or
1: you know strategy games as well mm. um it's quite interesting this, to hear this is or- before i was a programmer though. i mean like you know back then i wasn't making games you know so um You know, now, uh, although I did play um, a lot of Cities Skylines, um, if you play games in the same genre that you make games, you you are either, you play them and sort of think, oh my God, this is awful. My game's so much better. Um, I'm going to work on my game. I'm disgusted with their design choices. (laughs) Or you think, this is amazing. This is so much better than my game. I better stop playing and get back to work and make a better game. Well,
0: that was going to be my next question about this. Did you take sort of inspiration from sim city and similar games like that and be like okay so this is this is what i like and and this is a really good example of like the sort of thing that i would like to create and then take inspiration from that
1: yeah yeah i i definitely i i think it's more it's not so much a design thing but it's much more of a kind of emotional thing i think all games are emotional and you know there is a there is a, a certain sort of sense of flow and satisfaction and power and everything that you get from playing a game like SimCity wh- which I, I found really good and w- which I want to replicate when I make a game so it, it's not so much the mechanics um, when you play a game that you, that you sort of think oh well people do a lot these days that they play a game and think oh I'm gonna do this in my game I'm gonna put this in my game um, whereas I think what's more helpful is to sort of go how do I feel when I play this um, and like when we were talking about Just Cause that feeling of I'm just so cool I can grab things and throw them around you know that, that's a kind of like cool sort of James Bondy action hero-y sort of power trip thing. Yeah. Um, and that's what's important. The, the The mechanic of oh you do it with a grappling hook doesn't matter. You know you could do that with a spell. It's just that <laughs> sensation of kind of like yes I can destroy everything around me and oh, <laughs> that feels good. You know, that's what you want. So yeah, I mean, SimCity 4 gave me a big kind of um, thing that that you can have that feeling of power and control and efficiency in a game and that that's a good thing.
0: So one of the things I like to talk about when someone brings up games uh, like The Sims or City Skylands and stuff like that is uh, I, I seem to find that everyone has one particular interesting story or a few interesting stories about... A city or a time where something incredible happened, or just something that stuck with you for a long time. Is there is there something you can remember about playing Sims City Four where there was like a particular city that was had a unique quality to it, or do you remember a time where just something sticks with you about that game? Uh,
1: not well, actually, not that game. No, but um, but City Skylines, um, I I. I uh, Recently, well, you know, like within the last year or whatever, I did have a city that um, that everyone was dying, and uh, which annoyed me. And I was like, "Why is everyone dying? I've done everything right, and it's like zero efficiency." Was, well, everyone was dying because like there were dead bodies next door, and like the smell or whatever kills people off. And I'm like, "Why are there dead bodies everywhere?" And it's because the ambulances and the hearses cannot get to pick up the bodies or treat people. And when, you, when I sort of dived into it more, it's like, why couldn't they? Because there's massive traffic congestion. Why is there massive traffic congestion? Because there are so many ambulances and nurses <laughs> out there. And it's like, this is a complete programming fail on, on some level. But on and, and they patched it since to make that less of an issue. But on another level, it was hilarious because you can just imagine, you know, the sort of feeling when you come to that. Conclusion. Sort of think. Oh, for crying out loud! <laughs> you know, and that city was then toast. So I had to start again. It's just a complete nightmare. I love. That's but, what
0: I love about simulation games. There's always some s- something that happens uniquely uh to each time you play that is kind of rather funny, or, or it, it always seems yeah. funny because it's it is meant to, in a sense, replicate you know a part of real life or the real world so when something like that that seems quite far-fetched happens it just is really funny it makes the game worth playing to me they all sort of tell their own story yeah (laughs) it
1: it creates these these little stories and i i think it's just if you if you create a good simulation in this kind of simulating real life that that kind of stuff happens in real life i mean so you know like uh the, the democracy games which which I do that they, they have these sort of things crop up and and that is just like like real life, and the whole like u s election at the moment seems to hinge on some emails on someone's phone that was confiscated because he was sending naked pictures of himself to someone, and it's like <laughs> what how can that be such a big uh, how can the whole the global superpower like you know be um based on that and and it's just a complicated system throws up the
0: when i think it's like we ran all the simulations but this doesn't even seem possible Kind of, yeah just like how is this happening
1: exactly and people love that and it's it's just part of life and um you know if you if you code a a good simulation this sort of stuff does happen um and and it's wonderful It's, it's those wonderful moments in games that you get from that.
0: Excellent. Well, we're going to move on now to another simulation game, but sort of a more quirky, uh, fun simulation. And I imagine this also has some stories because I have some stories of my own with this this game. I spent hours playing it as well. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. So the next game on your list, Cliff, is a sort of a construction and management simulation game. Um, This was developed by Chris Sawyer. Uh, It's sort of a one-man show, very similar to yourself as well. Um, It was released all the way back in 2002 for the PC. It's the iconic and quite just hour-wasting Roller Coaster Tycoon 2. Cliff, why is Roller Coaster Tycoon 2 the next game you're taking with you?
1: It, it's probably the first game that I got really addicted to that you run a business in. Um, and, and and that sort of stayed with me. I love those sorts of games now. And and in fact, you know, the game I'm working on now is, is, is kind of that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, a, a, an isometric thing. Um, it was... I'm not sure what it is about it. I mean, it, there was a lot of options. There was a lot of stuff you could do and again, it was kind of like that sort of God game thing where you, where you are like hovering above the world and you see all these people running around and you're trying to kind of satisfy these people, um, w- which is kind of like the nice way of looking at it. And and the other way of looking at it is you're just trying to squeeze as much money out of these people as possible.
0: I always thought of it yeah. as a way of keeping them alive because everything I made <laughs> as a kid seem to fail spectacularly (laughs) so just having them stay alive was a goal in itself for me
1: well this is the interesting thing because the actual roller coasters i found impossible to build um they would cost an absolute fortune And, and and there was always that really depressing thing where you go to all the you know it takes you forever building crappy little merry-go-rounds and other nonsense and and selling burgers in order to like make enough money to build uh, another uh, to have another go at building a roller coaster and then you finally have the money and you build a roller coaster and and when they test it it's just really mediocre or like the cars get stuck because you forgot (laughs) to put like one of the rope things in and and it's rubbish and people go oh don't go on roller coaster one it sucks and you think no but so I, I tended to try and avoid the roller coasters or, or just put down like the like pre-designed ones. OK. But I loved the whole kind of the business simulation thing of it and the whole, um, you know, when people get this far into the park, they will be hungry and thirsty. So we need to, you know, put down stuff. For so
0: you and- were more interested in not so much the... I've spent hours building a roller coaster. I want everyone to love. Now they hate it. You were thinking strategically. Now, where do I place the hot dog stand? Where do yeah. I do this?
1: Yeah, and I, I think that is. I I did toy with the idea. I always toy with the idea of, of doing a game. You know when you get these really rubbish kind of uh, like business sim games that are kind of like lemonade stand or like burger bar and it's always like really cartoon like yeah it's uh, just like flipping a burger and
0: passing it out or something and
1: generating uh, money uh, i would love to do a game like that where you just run a tiny little restaurant but it was very serious and micromanaged that kind of like you know how how many chips do they get with that portion? (laughs) And (laughs) What music do you play at this time of day? And like what uniforms do your staff wear? And does that have some sort of psychological influence on whether or not people live more tips? And and kind of all of those like really subtle manipulation sides of business, um, I find really interesting. I would definitely
0: play that. Like the idea (laughs) of controlling how many chips... Like I've worked in places where... I especially remember a time I worked for a summer working as an ice cream man, like driving an ice cream van down beaches and giving ice cream right, out. Yeah. And I remember getting criticized for giving too much by yeah, my yeah. boss at the time because I, you know, there were people who would speak to me and I felt very generous and I would like to give them big helpings of ice cream and stuff like that. And um, uh,
1: you'd be fired for money. Yeah, no, he,
0: he'd come along and he'd be like, <laughs> no, one scoop. Like, like, and he would like squeeze it out of the tub and it it would be like a perfect circle to make sure there was no more on it. Yeah. (laughs) Just saving every penny. I'd be interested to play something very similar to that, especially if it does have that sort of psychoanalytic. Like, Mm. if I play this, like, music at this certain time of day when people are ordering this food. Will they buy more and that kind of thing? That'd be really interesting, especially if you could fail.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, And just
0: fail miserably as well.
1: I also think it's it's kind of like an interesting topic generally that game designers have never really gone with. And I I think why not? Because, you know, most people don't realize that that in like a very organized kind of chain restaurant, if you eat at peak times um, and they know what they're doing, that the, the music that they play has a higher beats per minute than slack times and it's to encourage you to eat quicker to get you out the door so they get other people in because they're busy yeah and and like i love that i think that's amazing <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> but i just sort of think this is so fantastic that that you know um, someone somewhere has a spreadsheet and they work out that you know that big expensive looking wine rack behind the bar actually lets you um you know justify putting up the price of the food by Two percent or whatever, and therefore they've done the maths, and therefore they've done that. Um, you know, you could have like who, who competing. Really doing, do that.
0: You could have like competing shops that open up down the street, and then you have to sort of manage your own accounts to sort of make sure you keep having customers when they're like cutting, like they're halving their prices or something.
1: It <laughs> it would be an awesome kind of like online game. You imagine if every oh with
0: everyone run, oh else. my god, and it had like its own market like Eve or something. Yeah, of, this would be with awesome. Fluctuating new prices and stuff. Ah, oh, this sounds yeah, really cool. I can that. just see it now. Next year, Positech Games, Fast Food Boss MMO 2017. Let's. let's yeah,
1: well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, 2017 is my car game. Um, yes, I can only make one game a year <laughs> at most. <laughs> at most.
0: <laughs> wow. So, do you have a sort of? I, I once again sort of do you have a sort of unique story about rollercoaster tycoon? Is there a park that was running at like 98% efficiency that you adored or, uh, or was there some time where it was all going swimmingly and then all of a sudden it just went terribly bad?
1: Not really. I mean, you know, it's a while ago now, but I I did actually reinstall rollercoaster tycoon not too long ago with all the expansions, like you can get them um, with all the expansions on steam. And I, I did um, have a thing recently when I was playing it and, Uh, I had the expansion where you have animals, so I had, like, grizzly bears and stuff, and then one escaped, and I thought, oh, okay, I don't know what I do now, what, presumably, I lose some money or something, but no, suddenly, you get put into, like, a helicopter viewpoint, and it's like a first-person shooter, effectively, with you shooting tranquilizer darts at an escaped bear, (laughs) And I didn't know that that was in the game. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> what? They obviously coded that, you know, thinking wouldn't it be funny if we coded a little like um, Tranquilize the Bear thing. And it, it, because it was so unexpected, um, I thought this, you know, th- this is amazing. They've really sort of modelled absolutely everything. Um, so, yeah, that kind of, that kind of freaked me out. I was impressed. As a game designer, I thought, yeah, that's that's pretty impressive that they let you do that, you know, um, because it's obviously quite a rare thing. You've got to forget to put up a bit of fence or something stupid. I don't know.
0: What, isn't it also this year that there's like a mobile port being released of it, like, like a completely redone version? I oh, I, think, I remember reading an interview, I think, with Chris Sawyer, and he said something about, like, it was enti- very similar to yourself. It was being written entirely in his own engine, in C, and it was going to be like a completely redone version of the game for like iOS and Android. I don't know if it's been released yet, though.
1: Um, well, it, it's interesting because like uh, originally Rollercoaster Tycoon was was coded in assembly language, um, all entirely by him, which is incredible. But, but that's that's really hardcore. Um, so it's it, you know his version of using Unity is probably to. to you know demean himself to use c <laughs> so it's it, it's 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 very impressive stuff
0: excellent wow we're going to move on to a juxtaposition now we've mo- we're moving on from sims now and we're sort of going back to the sort of your chill out games your sort of mm. shoot men in the face phase <laughs> sort of relax um so why don't we listen to some music from this next game and then let's talk about it game that you're going to be taking with you to your wonderful tropical island uh cliff is a game that was before uh i think you know the massive sort of franchise that we think of this series now um back when it was a bit more trying to catch up with medal of honor wasn't quite as well renowned i think as that series at the time and obviously now has is the biggest first person shooter on the planet. Um, the next game you've chosen was developed by Infinity Ward and published by Activision. Uh, it was released for PC in 2005 as well as the Xbox 360. Um, it's Call of Duty 2. Cliff, mm. Call of Duty 2.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it's because it's the one i played the most by far and got very good at. Um, I mean, I've played other first-person shooters before. I mean, I, you know, I've played Doom. Um, so... I d- and, and Quake, I played qu- uh, quite a lot of Quake 2 um, when I was supposed to be working. And very, I used to work in um, various IT places, and I would be tech support. And the whole of tech support would just sit and play Quake um, <laughs> when nothing was going on. And I, I worked for a massive company called Computer Science Corporation, which is one of the biggest IT companies in the world. And all the tech support departments would like play against each other. They'd, they'd play <laughs> Quake 2 against each other when we were supposed to be working. Um but the thing about Call of Duty 2, there's there's kind of lots of things that were kind of special about it. I I did get very good at it, I, it's the first one I, I played very competitively, um, mostly because we used to play at Lionhead, and there was a whole like QA department, a test department at Lionhead that were quite into it, uh, and I was quite into it. So at, at lunch break at a lot of games places people would just all play games. Um, and obviously you've got fast PCs, you've got a really fast company um, network and everyone loves games. Um, and because I, I used to play with a group of people who will play games for a living, um, obviously they were very good. So you have to kind of like up your game a bit. Um, and I, I don't know what it is. I, I I I think that's the perfect one. It was a World War Two one. And it was the one with the, you know the best weapons and the nicest feel, and it it since then it's gone a little bit. I would say it's gone a bit too American for me,
0: <laughs> a little Hollywood, as they would say. It, yeah,
1: it's very Hollywood. It's it's because like Call of Duty, um, because it was a World War Two thing. It, it, it was like you know I know what this war is about. It's been on TV and we learnt it in school, and we know who the good guys and the bad guys are, and it kind of makes sense. And uh, and it, it's people fighting in a war. And it the newer versions of Call of Duty, although some of them have been good, they're a bit of kind of like American Marines kind of going, yeah, a lot. It's and, definitely like,
0: that sort of image of I don't like I don't even picture British soldier, soldiers as being sort of macho. <laughs> uh, like marines <laughs> not not it's not it's just saying that they're not they're all obviously physically
1: fit but, yeah i know exactly what you mean but american exactly soldiers
0: you, you feel like they're like space marines they're they are like the the yeah. most macho of all male humans on the planet and yeah call yeah. of duty it's, does sort of epitomize that and symbolize that it doesn't really symbolize yeah. any other type of soldier for
1: it, it, exactly it's the it's kind of like team america world police kind of game now where it's it's very very butch and gung-ho and and also s- slightly dubious because you're always in some nondescript um middle eastern country that yeah or russia the crap out of <laughs> for no adequately explored reason um which i sort of think I, I don't know what team i want to be on here um you know i really don't um i always i always just just talking on that
0: i always find it amazing when there's like a mission where all of a sudden, the enemies. I think it was Modern Warfare Two, where the enemies are on home soil, and that for like Americans is like the biggest trigger warning ever. It's like, oh god, enemies are on our soil. Like that's just like their nightmare, their worst possible thing,
1: and they make such an extreme, like. Which I d- I don't understand because who's invaded America? Like historically, I mean. Uh- you americans know, invaded america yeah yeah exactly but, but it is we, that we, that is a anyone
0: who's from america who's listening I, I i love you guys so please don't stop listening yes I, I got
1: married in america it's wonderful but um yeah it is kind of weird because i mean like even in like world war Two, like it didn't really in, in the same sense apart from pearl harbor like come to home territory uh, in the same way that it did to the uk um you know, everything got bombed. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I used to play as a kid in the sort of wreckage of a munitions factory. Um, so it was very real. It was very like a real kind of sort of brought home thing. But but call it, anyway, Call of Duty um, 2, I think, did it very well. And also, it actually sparked an interest in history for me, in the history of World War II. I'd, I ended up reading loads of books about it because when you get to like the end of, that game um the sort of single player stuff or whatever and you're you are fighting like in the ruins of berlin it's like really badly ruined you know and i think was, i
0: remember it, the multiplayer map for that level it's just basically yeah, rubble everywhere and there are some it's rubble wars. and
1: flames and that's that's the capital of germany you know and although like you know you learn stuff in history and whatever. It's. I, I think the interactive element of that game. Um, I remember playing it and like be, be, being into the game and and but also thinking, Jesus, we really bombed the crap out of Germany at the end of the war. <laughs> and like then when you look into it and like you, it, I, I remember going to the cabinet war rooms and looking at charts of bombing and all this and reading Churchill's diaries and everything. And I got very interested in it and and it, it really is um, interesting. Um, that it, it conveys very well the idea that, yes, you know, these guys were the bad guys and we were the good guys and they attacked and then we attacked them back and and then we really taught them a lesson at the end. It was a real all-out war every, you know. It's conveyed very well and it's not done in a heavy-handed way and it's not done in a, in a sort of um, Hollywood see, way.
0: See, I had something very similar happen, but not with Call of Duty 2, but it was Medal of on a front line which is also a world war 2 uh shooter and this was like my first sort of jump into the world war 2 shooter thing that went on forever uh, we had lots of games spawned from it and i remember playing it i remember the the first mission is like the d day mission where you, you you get off the the boats uh, onto the beach and just everyone's shooting at you and i just remember it, at the time obviously just being like overwhelmed by what was happening and uh, and I, I couldn't i couldn't imagine real human beings having to have gone through that yeah, and that sort crazy. of experience. And I remember asking my dad to be like, was this what this, was this what my great grandfather fought in? And he was still alive at the time. And my dad was like, yes, uh, yes, this was it. He, and this was the sort of thing that happened. I've just been like, fucking hell. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad I'm sat at home simulating this on a video game console instead of this actually happening. And yeah, it's, it's, Then it's, reading it's about it and just like, wow. Um, but it's just incredible. <laughs> like games sometimes, I, I, I remember... Play some games that are historically based and then I totally understand that going to read or find out more information about it. It's always extremely interesting. Yeah.
1: I, I think now they, these sort of things have become slightly marketing k- kind of led in the same way that movies have. So every superhero movie has to have someone from China in it or it has to have a long extended sequence in China for no adequately explored reason plot wise just because like loads of Chinese people go to the movies and games kind of have that in the the whole kind of american space marine thing yeah um because a lot of those people buy the games and you know i mean to be honest when when you play any of these like world war 2 games they've always some of them start like you say um with the d day landings world war 2 which is like, and if you're English and you've read about it a lot, you sort of think, "Well, this is hilarious. That's not how the war started. Like, we've been fighting years at this point. You know, that's when America like uh, started, as it were." And so you do <laughs> get you do get kind of like a skewed view yeah. of it because games have become such a big business that you know there are you know accountants saying, "Yeah, it's very interesting that this part of the game is historically accurate." But nobody in, you know, that country buys, buys games. So let's just skip that level and instead have a whole thing set in, you know, Ohio or whatever. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's the classic thing that God should have always attacked Tokyo. He would never attack any other uh, capital city, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. It skewed things to some extent. But still, you know, I mean you learn you still learn history and um, a lot of stuff from video games there's no, no denying that
0: just to sort of quickly talk about call of duty 2 again i i remember call of duty 2 was a launch title for the xbox 360 and obviously when i sort of think of xbox 360 launch titles oblivion Sort of that era, Oblivion was like the biggest highlight. But I played Call of Duty two not maybe like two years ago at like a LAN party, um, and I remember that game still being very impressive visually. And to think that was yeah. a game that came out for the Xbox three hundred and sixty at launch—that's a good looking game. A good looking, yeah. Game.
1: Oh, it was a talented, talented bunch of guys that that, um, that did those games. Yeah, and I, I, I recall that my favorite weapon was the Bren gun. I nearly bought a Bren gun um, <laughs> because you can just buy one. I mean, like, you can, I mean, like, obviously they're disarmed, but they're massive, um, and <laughs> I, I got a bit obsessed with the Bren gun because it was like heavy and you moved slowly, so and, and nobody wanted to use the Bren gun, but it was incredibly accurate. And if you got really good at it, you could just like one shot everyone with the Bren gun. They're like the they're ones really that expected.
0: have like their own stands, aren't they? Like, yeah, the yeah, ones that have to sort of sit on the floor and gun. shoot. Yeah.
1: Yeah, generally, you'd have to sit on the floor. And in fact, a a, a fascinating piece of history is that people that use <laughs> brain guns actually complained um, saying they want them to be made less accurate because they were so accurate that if you sort of... <laughs> all the bullets would go in exactly the same place and be wasted on the same guy, whereas you wanted to, like, spread it a bit.
0: Sort of spray and pray and...
1: Yeah, to some extent, because, <laughs> like, yeah, they were just... Um, they were totally... Splatting one guy rather than taking out a group. <laughs> just Disintegrating
0: yeah. one person and the rest of the squad is moving closer. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's about time we move on to your next game. And it's a game I don't know anything about, but also involves wars. Uh, and specifically one of the greatest war generals of all time. Essentially one of the great military strategists ever. Um, so why don't we listen to music from this next game and let's talk about it. this cliff is a strategy game uh, like a real-time strategy game i believe um it released for the pc uh, back in 2005 and was developed by gsc game world which is a company i've never really i've not heard of before um and this game is called Cossacks 2 the napoleonic wars
1: um yeah what is is this game yeah i know i know (laughs) um it was very popular in europe um at the time It's basically Age of Empires, um, but set in Napoleonic times. It is a very early isometric attempt at what is now um, like Napoleon Total War. Uh, Ah, okay, okay, yeah. It's basically that, but with very primitive uh, graphics by comparison, um, because it's kind of like the original Age of Empires, so it's an isometric fixed camera thing. Um, I played it a lot. I played it multiplayer with a friend a lot a huge amount and i think the thing that we found appealing about it was the scale of it was massive so generally in a, an rts game if you if you try and do like an Napoleonic rts and there's been a few there's been like imperial glory was one of the few others um, you would have what looks like an impressive battle and it would be i've got 500 soldiers on the screen and wow and there's another 500 and you know it all looks very good, lots of musket smoke or whatever. But, you know, in the Battle of Waterloo, I think there were 70,000 casualties. So it was just, like, insane. And the thing about Cossacks, too, is you could do that. <laughs> it was absolutely crazy. But if you if you could set aside a whole day to play this game um, and, and build up the sort of base and resources and everything and build up your army... You would be sending troops into battle in sort of groups of a thousand or two (laughs) thousand with one click. See, it says you two thousand go here, you four thousand. Yeah, so
0: I'm reading a little bit about it, and it says that the limit of soldiers that could be used at the same time was sixty-four thousand.
1: Yeah, you can have sixty-four (laughs) thousand. Yeah, so it'll be 64,384 or something stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's insane. Um, visually, it doesn't look all that. Um, and, and they had one of the cleverest pieces of um, design optimization in any game ever. Because uh, normally in a game like this where you're like, because there's base building as well, when you're mining for resources, so like a coal mine, you'd be like, oh, i send a guy over here, hit the coal with a pickaxe and if you wanted more coal you'd send another guy there you know, two guys with pickaxes or whatever and they had this thing that the you'd build a coal mine which would show like a tunnel going down into the coal mine so you could send as many guys as you'd like down there and they didn't have to draw them or animate them <laughs> so you could have like 256 people down a coal mine supposedly producing coal um, and, they were, so, so and they would just disappear off the screen, and then all yeah, of so loads of memory,
0: screen. loads of memory would appear. And
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Which which I thought was a very clever piece of design there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I like that era. I um I like uh, the thing about um the Napoleonic era is that everyone dressed like they were trying to impress someone at a dinner party. Like all of the soldiers are basically dressed like people on Downton Abbey or something like that. It's just what they did um, in lovely bright colours with, um, you know, epaulettes and plumes and buckles and everything. So, visually, it looks really nice, and it, it kind of almost makes sense. So you have your big army of like red soldiers, and there's the evil French army of blue soldiers, um, which isn't particularly historically accurate, but it's almost accurate. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't look stupid, whereas when, when you play a lot of RTS games with, like, space soldier guys and you you you'll have your like your red armored space soldiers and they'll have the bl- and it's like well no you wouldn't do that why would you do that that's ridiculous you know obviously have you never heard of camouflage have you never heard of anything <laughs> like that yeah you know, it, it doesn't look right it looks silly um whereas kind of back then i mean they were dressed like that they did march in a you know a stupid long line ready to be mowed down <laughs> towards the enemy in bright red outfits um which is kind of silly so it kind of it looks historically accurate and it still works as a game um but i just like the scale it's mostly um enjoying playing with lots of toy soldiers
0: (laughs) just imagine being a soldier (laughs) <laughs> uh guys the, the the forest is green why are we wearing these bright yeah. yellow outfits <laughs> yeah
1: I, I i got quite i mean it is ridiculous but I, I i again it sparked a sort of like interesting history on all this kind of stuff and the true story of, of like what they used to wear is hilarious because um if you play video games and you you watch like you know historical costume dramas you imagine in napoleonic times all the british wore red and all the French wore blue, and it was that easy. But in fact, it was nonsense. Half the English were German, which doesn't make any sense at all, and would wear black. And if they were riflemen, they wear green. A lot of the French wouldn't necessarily wear blue, and it was quite common for people to shoot their own guys, assuming that they were the enemy. So it's <laughs> absolute catch. often the German soldiers would be commanded by an English guy that didn't speak German, and they didn't speak English, and it would be complete chaos and even in the battle of waterloo there there hundreds and hundreds of guys would be shot um because they didn't realize they were uh, you know whose side they were on it's um, absolute chaos
0: friendly fire was not on <laughs> Exa- yeah well exactly
1: yeah
0: <laughs> well we're gonna move on to your next game now which is also a real-time strategy game uh, a sort of a popular kind of popular um series i think um especially the first one, Uh, but we're going to listen to this music now and let's dive straight into it. game on your list, Cliff, is another real-time strategy game that was developed by Relic Entertainment. Uh, the company also responsible for the excellent sort of strategy games that, are, that do uh, involve Space Marines. The Warhammer 40,000 Dawn of War Uh, series as well Um, but they also have another popular strategy video game series uh, that's Company of Heroes uh, which was released in September of 2006 for the PC. Uh, The one you've chosen is the original Company of Heroes and this game does feature soldiers in camouflage so maybe soldiers that are a little smarter than (laughs) (laughs) the the, the average Cossack maybe Uh, Cliff please tell me why Company of Heroes is also going with you
1: it's it's the only um r t s game that doesn't um that that focuses on the on the troops rather than the base building that i've ever really uh kind of got into it it's a game that that I find it hard to explain why i why specifically i like it when there's a lot of things about it that in theory I don't like because um it's the anti cossacks you know you never if you've got a hundred troops in in company of heroes you're playing some massive map and you've really gone for it you know so it's it's more of a kind of like micromanagement game but it's, yeah like squads it's, is like ten to yeah 20. yeah it's, it's very it's small kind of like squad based stuff um it's very well designed um the balance is very good and it's it's just frustrating enough so like to hold a position um you, you have to be very um, sort of tactical about what you do. You never have enough troops to do everything you want. You're always worried that you've left one sort of flank exposed. Um, the mechanics of that are very interesting, and it, it really matters what you've got rather than how many. So, you know, for example, in Cossacks, if you send 600 troops against 200, then you're going to win. It's as simple as that regardless of what they are more or less um but company of heroes is so not like that if you've got a machine gun in a building somewhere um then they're kind of indestructible unless the enemy has the counter to that which would be a mortar um, or incendiary grenades and and every it's like chess everything's like kind of like got its it's sort of counter and you have to know what piece to use when and when to like withdraw a, a wounded unit and it's also very fast so you know there's a big element of kind of um, stress <laughs> when playing it. it's quite it's quite a stressful game and, and a very serious uh sort of game you can't like chill out um it's the game that if you like make yourself a hot drink and then think i'm gonna play company of heroes like you won't take a single sip it'll just be like panic and concern and stress for the whole time um so it's quite intense and also you know it's for the time especially it, 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 it did look very nice. Loads of custom maps. Um, I, I've played hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of that game.
0: This is what this is what I've been thinking. Rita. Sort of, you sort of almost picked the perfect list for yourself. Like this sort of desert island idea. As I've said many times, uh, and people who listen to the show often will know that it's become a decision between what is suitable for a game to choose for a desert tonight. So if you're going to play it for a very long time, you know, this is going to be a game you play for hours and hours. So if you choose a game like The Last of Us or Zelda, that is maybe only going to have a certain amount of replayability. So maybe it's not going to last all time. Um, but then there's also the nostalgia factor and the like factor of having your favorite games there with you as well. And I think it's kind of excellent that <laughs> your favorite games are... Games that last hours and hours and hours. So (laughs) you're going to be quite happy playing these games away on your desert island uh, and also enjoying them and remembering the good times you've had with them as well. I think it's kind of one of the most perfect
1: lists so far. Well, I I don't... um, I'm not really into story in games, Um, which is why I did a game called Gratuitous Space Battles. Because (laughs) I, I always skip the story anyway. You know, it's still a game. great
0: name. That name is so
1: good. <laughs> yeah, <I>, I'm very <laughs> proud of that name. Um because ultimately loads of space games are that. You know, ultimately, um, you know, they are gratuitous space battles. Nobody cares that the you know, the of like, you know, invaded the planet Zog for the mysterious thing of Zelda or whatever. Nobody cares. You know, it like if you want good storytelling you you'd read some good hard sci fi or you know watch some amazing mini series or whatever, like I don't know. I, writing in games is much better than it ever has been, but I, I I've never cared to to play a story. You know what I want is I want I want the I want to interact. You know so um, as a result I like kind of sandbox games. I like uh, I like freeform games with lots of options and stuff like that um and and that's the kind of game i make as well i i I never put a story in a game um and i i like everything to just be like an open sandbox well you Um, create
0: games that are very similar to what we've been talking about where the stories just naturally happen through the players own decisions and these mini stories appear all the time you give them the tools to sort of not purposely but create their own stories
1: yeah i think that's um it, I, I kind of prefer that. I, I preferred like toys in a sense to, to to games. I mean things to kind of like explore and, and kind of have fun with um, rather than just here is a prescribed piece of entertainment that you will consume at this rate. Um, you know I, I don't like that so much. Also I read phenomenally quickly and I get bored very quickly um, with kind of exposition and stuff. So like an unskippable cutscene is just hell to me. Um, I, I've been known to just uninstall a game and never touch it again because the first time I hit an unskippable cutscene it just <laughs> drives me crazy and I'm like, what the hell? My t- your time is money. I'm not listening to this crap. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of kind of games I play. I, the sandboxy stuff. In fact, a lot of these games are later games. Like Star Wars Battlefront, I don't even know if it has a campaign. Um, Sorry, I've ruined.
0: Yeah, episode. spoilers, spoilers for yeah, later spoilers. in the episode. Um, <laughs> but a lot of a, a lot of
1: games. Like I'm playing Battlefield One at the moment, and that has a single player aspect, I think. But I haven't even started it. I don't just care.
0: playing online, having fun, shooting people. There's a lot, a lot of military sort of.
1: I know. Themed weird, through
0: all of these games, um, a lot of your own games as well are set in intense situations, either where there be it political or space military. Um
1: I mean, intense sky. <laughs> well it's it's conflict. Conflict gives you drama, conflict gives you um I, I I like decisions. I like decisions under pressure and the and what you go through mentally to make a decision. Um I, I also do a bit of stock market trading I used to I used to 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 work on that stuff as well. And i'm I'm fascinated with the pressure of making the right decision, and politicians have that uh in in a true life or death sense um in some ways and obviously soldiers and generals have that big time so i i guess the general theme is like I like difficult trade offs and um decisions that are important
0: excellent well we're gonna move on to an uh your next game which um requires well i think it's built up to have just this incredible almost second life to it where decisions in that game could cost millions for (laughs) players all around the (laughs) globe Uh, and just it's just i can't even fathom how this game runs these days um so why don't we listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it So the penultimate game on your list, uh, Cliff, is the huge, massively multiplayer online role-playing game that was developed by CCP Games, uh, and it released for Windows, uh, and it's also been released on, a, um, like, OS systems as well. It released all the way back in 2003, um, but it's changed just drastically over the years. Uh, it's the game that allows players to just do everything, mining, piracy, manufacture, trading... Exploration, combat, just pretty much everything you can imagine. Uh, all in its own very strange way. The next game you've chosen is EVE Online. Cliff,
1: are you still playing
0: um, I, EVE? Are you still playing
1: it now? Uh, no, no, I'm in one of my down uh, periods of EVE. <laughs> um, I've played it a lot. Um, I haven't played it for a while because, because I quit it in absolute rage as everyone, nobody gets bored with Eve, nobody sort of goes oh yeah, probably not going to play Eve anymore, but they get killed, you get killed by someone and it's devastating (laughs) Um, because like in a normal game, oh you lose a life, oh I'll respawn in three seconds, that's what we expect Yeah. or kind of um, oh I need to go back to my last save point I've wasted almost an hour That's outrageous. Oh, you know, the the hell. But in EVE, you can have basically your whole life destroyed by one click (laughs) of someone else if they've got better guns and they've outwitted you and you've taken a risk you shouldn't have. And the awful thing is there's this double stage thing in the game where your spaceship can be destroyed by, um, you know, some... Some Git somewhere, and then you're in an escape pod, and already you've lost. Even if it, your ship's insured, you've lost a catastrophic amount of money. Uh, but they can then uh, destroy the escape pod and kill you as well. <laughs> yeah. Now you can have a clone backup, but that's really expensive, and it's a, and these are the other side of the galaxy by now. And the awful thing is, people milk it really badly so you will get communication with your killer who's who, who's just destroyed your ship and they'll sort of say give me 10 million isk or i'll pod you and you may not have it so there's then this like pleading system of look i don't have it and they're like yeah yeah whatever and sometimes they'll do like a countdown to them just clicking the sort of laser button and, oh and my
0: god it. that sounds incredible and you sort of think
1: no, no, this is awful, don't do this, you know, you know, this is so cruel or whatever. And, of course, they love it. And you get so angry. You know, I have put bounties on people. I, I've gone back into the game and raised loads of money and and uh, put bounties on people's heads who have done that to me. And and I've been that guy, not podding someone, but I've been that guy with a group of friends waiting at uh, uh, a sort of low-security sort of warp gate with warp scramblers ready to ambush people that come through. And it's a brilliant game because it is 99% tedious nothingness. When you just sort of think, God, this is the most boring game imaginable. And then it's 1% of absolute terror and panic and fear. And it's the most emotional game on my list. Because it's the only game thats that I've ever played that gives you a sense of loss. You can have frustration, like
0: true loss, like,
1: like yeah, like uh, I, you know, I had so much and now I have nothing. (laughs) I mean, it's (laughs) it's the game that like sort of you know uh, economists and business studies people like, and that that psychologists like, and the people who make it have this fascinating way of dealing with their game, which is whatever happens. It it is kind of
0: like a second life though isn't it like it has its yeah. own economy it has actual yeah. criminals in the game who yeah. are criminals uh you know people have jobs like people have menial jobs to people who are like politicians and leaders of giant armies and colonies it's just
1: it is amazing it's an amazing society that has been built up in a kind of made-up world um that is kind of like the worst of society as well there are so many scams you can't really trust people (laughs) Um, just like the real world (laughs) yeah and also it's shoot it looks amazing it's huge there is so much in it you can lose your life to eve massively um and it was a sort of inspiration when i worked on gratuitous space battles and and the sequel um you know i i was playing a lot of eve and i i just love the design of it the look of it um and and the effects that they've got in it are, are, are very good and to some extent the reason i made gritter space battles 2 was i want i wanted that experience that only one person in a thousand who plays eve has of commanding a massive fleet um because when you command a massive fleet in Eve, you are actually commanding hundreds of or even thousands of actual people. Yeah. Which is incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. That's just amazing. Nobody me. gets to do that, do they? Because, you know, you you get to man some crappy little frigate in the corner that's sacrificed just <laughs> like laser fodder in the first wave. <laughs> like so the Cossacks, really so you're just like the front line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're normally just fodder. So, um, so it kind of inspired me to make a game, I guess. But, um, Yeah, it's an incredible game that everyone should should try because it's so not like other games, Um, and everyone is playing on the same server, which is amazing, very difficult, and it, it makes a big difference because, you know, if someone has like, if someone's got a grudge against you in Eve, you can't get away from them, you know, you can move around the galaxy to try and avoid them but it's the same galaxy, you can't switch servers or anything <laughs> you just you know, have to stop there. playing
0: That's it. just, it's just too intense just like, it I'm is, it's I'm done. such an intense <laughs> game it is
1: incredible you know, especially uh, I've been camping a warp gate in that ready to ambush people and thinking, yeah, suckers, whoever comes through is going to be like toast. And then people walk through who are far more ninja than you. <laughs> it, suddenly the tables are turned within seconds. You're like, oh, my God, how do we get out of here? it? It's terrifying and, and very well designed. And um, it just it's just an amazing experience.
0: I spoke to Andy Kelly from PC Gamer uh, a, a while ago. And he also chose Eve. Uh, and he had some unique stories about just sort of buying a, sh- a really crappy ship and then flying out to a certain zone or area. I can't I can't remember what, for the life of me what it was called, but basically it was like a that's it, no rules sort of Yeah, like, I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's, it's
1: like 0.0 space. Yeah,
0: like the uh, dead zone like or something. That. I don't know, but it um, just sounds so like amazing where there's this area of the entire space and that's just where people go to be as lawless. As in a world where there seems to be no laws anyway.
1: This is <laughs> but, but the fascinating thing is, like, that's where all the good stuff is. Because basically, to get, you mine asteroids in the game, and most of the asteroids are, are, are worth nothing. So, like, they're scattered around the place, and effectively, you're surrounded by, effectively, potatoes everywhere. It's, like, quite tedious. You can mine this stuff, it'll take forever. All the really good stuff, all the kind of, you know, the, 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 effectively, the kind of, like, the diamonds and the gold are in the dodgy parts of town. And they're just there for the picking. And it's so tempting, even though you know it's so dangerous, to think, you know, I could just zap in there, do a quick bit of mining, zap out again. Nobody will spot me. It will be fine, and I'll make a fortune. And the first 10 times you do it, it's fine. And the 11th time, you're just vaporized. <laughs> and you think, no, why did I give in to this stupid temptation? It was fine in potato land. You know, it's, but it always drags you back. The amount of times I've done that. And greed. and then lost my amazing yeah it 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 turns your greed into uh, into drama and it's it's brilliantly done.
0: Excellent. I uh, I every time I talk about Eve, I just I just want to jump in. I uh, I've never yeah. truly gone into. It. I've tried it a few times and I have enjoyed it, but it seems like such a time commitment as well. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. But obviously, being on a deserted island, uh, your own tropical island, you could play. It, you could become a space general you could become someone who controls all of those ships by working your way up
1: (laughs) eventually
0: well we're going to move on to your last game now cliff and it's also a space game kind of um but you already spoiled it so why don't we listen to some incredibly iconic music um and let's talk about cliff's final game So here we are, Cliff, we are at your final game now. The last game you're going to be taking with you uh, before we ship you off to the island where you can do battle for the rest of your time (laughs) in all these conflicts that you're going to be going to uh, and dealing with. Uh, The last game is a little more subdued, um, although it involves conflict as well. It's the uh, first person, sort of third person hybrid shooter made by EA Dice, Not to be confused with the original Star Wars Battlefront. This is last Mm. year's uh, action shooter game,
1: Star Wars Battlefront. Cliff, why is the final game you're
0: taking with you Star Wars Battlefront?
1: I know, yeah, a lot of people sort of go, it's a bit average. Um, It it doesn't get amazing reviews or anything. And I'll be honest with you, it's not the most amazing game ever. Um, It's pretty good. It's a lot better than people think. Um,
0: I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, so I can understand where you're coming from. I definitely had fun with it.
1: I I, I like it um, because I think it's the best Star Wars game that's a first-person shooter. Um, and it, I'm the biggest Star Wars fan in the universe. I mean, I know loads of people say that, but like, um, I, I I I just love it. I was seven when I saw the original movie in the cinema and it was just incredible and to me it was it was like when people say oh Jimi Hendrix is just amazing for example and because I, I used to play the guitar there's a reason I mentioned this and and when you sort of listen to Jimi <laughs> Hendrix and you listen to loads of other guitar players since then you sort of think well yeah I mean it was yeah yeah it was good but I don't get what the fuss is about so sort I of think um, it's kind of like, like that with Star Wars because before Star Wars, science fiction was shit. I mean, it was really bad. Unbelievably so. And Star Wars kind of changed that massively and is such a powerful memory for me as a child. And I'm completely obsessed. I have everyone's autograph. I've got Yoda's autograph. I've got Luke and Leia and Han Solo and everyone. Even <laughs> There's even people in... The guy Lobot in... Um, uh, the Empire Strikes Back, who doesn't even have any lines. I've got his autograph. Um, you know, I have a, a lightsaber in my office. I I have memorized the entire script of the original movie. Um, so it's it's massively iconic to me. And although it's not a perfect game, it's not a perfect first-person shooter, there's no modding, there's not enough maps, there's loads of things that aren't right about it. What's Star Wars Battlefront does very, very well, is it really feels like Star Wars.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree.
1: So it's it's kind of a combination of like, you know, obviously it's the real sound effects and stuff like that. Um, But it it just has that kind of um, it's almost like it's been developed at that time. So apart from the jetpacks, which is kind of ruin it slightly to some extent in terms of uh, of the kind of look of it, I I just feel like I'm in Star Wars when I play it, so it's very satisfying to play. Um, like a big cozy I,
0: blanket I, of your favorite thing, yeah. You sort of wrap yourself yeah. into it, it.
1: It is, and I I think it has a a fairly sort of reasonable community as well. It it seems to be played um, by people who love it because it's Star Wars, whereas other other games, other especially first person shooters that you play online, I've been playing a bit of Battlefield 1, and they're more played by kind of like the modern Call of Duty set that is more a kind of, I'm going to win at all costs and I'm just going to camp here and I'm grinding this achievement and stuff like that. Whereas I think uh, Battlefield is played more by people who just want to evoke that feeling of kind of, yeah, we're in that, that cool space movie. Um which I think is, is is what I want. I don't want to win when I play First Person Shooter that much anymore. Um, I, I just want to have an exciting, fun time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I if, you go- exactly if you're going to be
0: shot by really talented 18-year-olds who play Call of Duty at the time, at least be shot by them dressed as Han Solo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely,
0: absolutely. Um, I kind of get what yeah, you mean as well, because I'm... I'm a huge fan of Star Wars Battlefront 2. It's just one of my favorite games of the PS2 period. I, I played it so much with my friends. The the multiplayer was amazing, and just the way that game worked was fantastic, all the game modes, but it was very much steeped in Clone Wars era. Star Wars or yeah. sort of prequels because that was what was happening around the time um and I love Star Wars the Clone Wars I think it's really good but it it wasn't Star Wars Star Wars it it wasn't yeah, like yeah. it wasn't Luke Leia Han uh Yoda it wasn't that and Star Wars Battlefront although it has bits of you know we're seeing you know Jakku and stuff like that um it very much is just Vader Luke hun and that's it and it feels incredibly just vanilla and and that's Mm. really good and i really like that
2: Mm.
1: i i think there's a lot of stuff missing from it i think the customization is a bit it's rubbish. It's awful. Um, it's like to yeah. get one
0: of those like alien heads to change your races. You had to play for like a hundred hours or something. Just
1: they were so expensive. Yeah, and it... I've done that. I've got all the heads. <laughs> oh, it took ages. Not all of them. because so they've added they've added new ones. I want the Death Star trooper now, but that's going <laughs> to be because uh, I'm level sixty three or something. So I'm a little bit. Yeah, I put the hours in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it it, it 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 does it feels good. And there's just something about it because it's from the movies. I mean, like, you know, if you're Chewbacca and you shoot a Tie Fighter out of the sky using your bowcaster, you can't beat that. You know, I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the if the if the visuals aren't aren't amazing. I mean, it does look very good. but oh, the it's are just amazing. something Yeah, I mean, it, it, but it's it's like the iconicness of it. Um, that that's probably not a word, but um. I don't know what it is about it. It just it does its subject matter really well, um, which is refreshing for a game of a movie. So, um, I think that's what it is that really sort of draws me into it. Really, I, I I do get that that kind of positive kind of like happy childish vibe when I play it. Yeah. Um, which I don't get if I play uh, any other kind of first person shooter.
0: Yeah, it just goes back to that thing. It's like, if I'm going to be shot, just let me be shot by a character I can't yeah. get mad at. <laughs> One that's not going to be let me rage crit. Well, I think that was a, an excellent note to end the show and to finally ship you off to your okay tropical island, which I don't think is too bad of a deal, to be honest, to be able to play these games and chill on a tropical island. Um, but before I let you go Cliff uh, before I ship you off I have to ask you one last question and it's the same question I ask all of my guests but I feel it's a little unfair because <laughs> this question kind of bars out what I imagine you would choose um, and the question is if you could take any console with
1: you to the oh island. no I just wouldn't bother <laughs> <laughs> because um, you're never, not allowed never, to take PC
0: because you can emulate any modern console up oh, to God. the GameCube and PlayStation 2. So that would be a little too much. Um, okay, uh, I'd take, take an Xbox. An Xbox. I, be an Xbox. An I think Xbox? Xbox is
1: more my kind of game. Like 360
0: be, or Xbox I, One?
1: I am such a PC gamer, I have no idea. Uh, the, the only console I've ever played for any... Um, I used to have an uh, uh, an in television, and a guy I live with had a Sega Mega Drive. That that's how long ago. I just uh, oh no, I had a Nintendo Wii, but you know that's games with friends, and if you're stuck on an island, um, yeah, and the Xbox. I think there's a good range of games on Xbox. I'd go with that.
0: Okay. So we'll send you off to the console that you can look at in disgust for not being yeah, a PC. Yeah. I'll just use it as a chair. <laughs> or a footstool for you. Yeah. Well, Cliff, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. I've enjoyed every moment of our conversations about these games and some absolutely fascinating ideas about games. So thank you so much for coming on. Okay, thanks. Um, so before i let you go please tell the wonderful people who have listened this far uh where they can sort of find you on the internet or what they should be checking out of yours uh upcoming things or currently what's going on
1: okay um i'm currently personally sort of publishing games as well as working on my own game so i'm doing a game about a car factory okay uh, which, which is called production line uh kind of like isometric business sim um so i'm working on that and sort of blogging about it um at com. um but i'm also i also publish games by other people and we actually have a game being released on wednesday which is um as as we speak 2 days away <laughs> so that's called political animals and that comes out on steam on the 2nd of november So that's currently what's going on, and that's at, uh, I think, politicalanimalsgame.com. Okay, Um, yeah. Everyone should be checking that out, then. Basically, I'm positech.co.uk, and everything is there. But the easy thing, if people ever want to find me, is just to search for the word ski because that always finds me.
0: (laughs) When does the ski come from? I
1: I, So long ago, it's hard to remember. I used to work (laughs) for a guy... Um, i was in tech support and my boss was uh whose name was Paul Murphy was kind of nicknamed Muff. <laughs> it's a bit unfortunate. <laughs> um, and people called him Muffsky. and so for some reason they started calling me calling me Cliffsky, and i was just stuck with it. I don't I don't know I don't know why but I don't mind being known by it. Um which amuses me because I remember um uh Cliff Blazinski um they yeah. people call Cliffy B. Uh, and I think he's younger than me. I think he's younger than me. So it's like, no, I don't care. When I'm in my seventies, you can still call me by some stupid nickname. That's fine. <laughs>
0: just one of those things that happens out of your control, and Absolutely. now is stuck with you. Well, Cliff, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. So thanks so much for joining me, and thank you for listening to the show. Um, I do apologize for last week's break, as I said earlier. Um, hopefully everything will be sorted and the show will continue on as normal. Um, You can obviously find the show uh, on SoundCloud, as always, soundcloud.com forward slash final games podcast. Also, the show is on iTunes and it's usually appearing in the top 50 or so. So you'll find it there quite easily. Uh, And you can also find us on Twitter as well uh, at final games show. And you can also find me on Twitter at Liam BME. If for any reason you want to email me, you can email me finalgamespodcast at gmail.com thank you once again for listening to this week's episode and I hope you'll join us again next time goodbye